welcome, welcome everybody to episode 12 of the Bros and Consoles podcast mini-series, Solo Gaming Updates. I am one half of your host, Nathan Choquette, coming to you on September 22nd, a little bit later in the, the week than usual, but this has been a little bit of a, a different week, there's been a lot of things going on, a lot of moving parts, and yeah, just had to um, hold off on recording yesterday, so hopefully you guys are doing okay and been playing lots of cool games and stuff. Um, I've been playing some games, not a whole lot um, compared to the previous week so far. It's just been a little bit busier, like I mentioned. But let's go ahead and jump into kind of some of the things that have been going on. I've got a little bit of a different format for you guys this week because I'll still talk a little bit about games I've been playing. But um, also, because of the pretty big news that happened uh, yesterday, basically, I will be throwing in a little bit of a news segment as well. So... Hope you guys are looking forward to that afterwards and kind of just trying to, if you're, if you're kind of tied in or like ear to the ground in the gaming, you know, video game news area, you kind of have an idea probably of what I'm about to talk about there. But for other people, I'll go ahead and leave it a surprise and we'll get to it when we get to it. So first off, um, games I've been playing, I'll go ahead and start with the Switch because that one I just kind of recently played as well as if I don't say it now, it might skip my mind because (laughs) normally I look at the um, trophy list to make sure I know kind of what I played previously in case I've forgotten some things. But um, on the Nintendo Switch, I got the copy of, um, what is it? Super Mario 3D All-Stars. It's a um, collection of three games that you know, came out a long time ago. The um, first one being Mario 60, Super Mario 64 um, for the N64. Uh, the next one is Super Mario Sunshine. And then the last one, Super Mario Galaxy. Um, those ones are for the GameCube and Wii, respectively. Um, but I got to play a little bit of Super Mario 64 because I haven't played that since I was probably in elementary school, I want to say. It's been a long, long time. Um but um, it's, it's a fun game. I, I, I really enjoyed playing it when I was younger. And I've almost kind of been wondering. So as I'm going through some things now, um, I've clearly forgotten like how to get to certain stars and things like that. And I have to. I think I'll have to like really sit down with it. Because I think once I start to remember bits and pieces, my, my memories will hopefully kind of jog themselves. And kind of I'll be able to figure out where some of these stars are at and everything. But it's been such a long time since I've played the game that I've forgotten quite a bit of things in terms of like star placements and things like that in the worlds. Um, the the game itself, um, if you've kind of seen some trailers and things, it hasn't necessarily been changed too much in terms of graphics. It still kind of looks pretty similar to what it looked like in the past, um, although just kind of like slight graphical updates there. But overall, um, still looks the similar, still plays very well. Um, the game itself, I think from back then, I always remember it feeling a little bit um, sensitive and sometimes like you're not able to get Mario to kind of go the way you want him to go. And I, I remember that being, I, th- I feel like at the time it was kind of one of the like difficulties within the game and stuff. It may just kind of be like an older, you know, a side effect of like it being an older game nowadays that it kind of like feels weird compared to like the the newest mario games like um super mario um odyssey kind of thing like that but in terms of you know going back and playing the game for nostalgia purposes it's still a lot of fun which is which is really nice um getting to see some of the like bosses that you kind of fight against to get stars um in the earlier levels it's um 
it's it's been pretty pretty funny just going through and being like oh that's right i know what i'm supposed to do with this part now because i i, I have initially make the same like mistakes in the beginning as i did probably as a kid and then i'm like oh that's right now i know what to do um whereas i think when i was a kid i couldn't figure out so i'll just i'll just go back in the in the way back time machine um, as a kid, I couldn't figure out how to get past the, I think, one of the first bosses in the Super Mario 64 game. And that's basically where you have to grab the, um, what's called, you know, King King Bob-omb. And essentially, you have to grab him from behind and then throw him to make him hit the ground and stuff. As a kid, I thought you had to grab him from behind and then walk him over to the edge and throw him off the edge. And I kept doing that over and over again. And each time I would do that, he'd jump back up and then be like, hey, you're cheating, you can't do that. And I'd be like, all right, whatever, you're probably just telling me that, and so I won't do it again. And so I'd keep doing it, and the boss fight just went on and on and on. And eventually figured out you're supposed to just throw him, like, on the regular ground, and then he, you know, apparently hurts his his backside, and then he's just like, oh, don't do that again, and chases after you, and you gotta do it one more time, and then you're done. But this time, at least, when I threw him off and I got that same message, um, I don't know if it's, like, memories from when I was a kid or if it's just, like, now I'm actually reading and, like, comprehending what he's saying and stuff. And so now I'm just like, oh, that's right, I just, I just take you and, and toss you, and that's it. And then it, it was much, much faster than when I was younger, <laughs> to say the least, but still a lot of fun. Um, I am looking forward to eventually finding some of the um, buttons that you have to hit to open up some of the different uh, hat blocks that you can get and specifically the the one that lets you kind of get wings on your hat and lets you kind of fly around because I remember that being a lot of fun as a kid and I can't can't wait to be able to do that again soon but it's gonna take a a little bit of time because I was going through I think uh the first couple painting worlds um and then got to I think not not the it's not really an order but I got to another one which was the kind of underwater world and looking through that stuff I was like man I really don't remember where exactly I'm supposed to go in here. <laughs> so I'm going to have to take it a little bit slower, probably put it on a big screen because I think that's probably a little bit easier for me to take a look at everything than just kind of staring at the small screen on the Switch when I'm holding it up close. But overall, I'm excited to, to get back into it. More excited though because I never got to play Super Mario Sunshine or Galaxy. And those ones I've wanted to play, and I think I, think I was planning on buying those for the GameCube and the Wii but uh, and that's like more recently not like when I was younger and stuff but um, I was planning on getting those again recently um, when I got the GameCube game uh, Super Mario Sunshine off Amazon I think sometime last year um, I bought it and was trying to play it and eventually realized that apparently I had bought the British version of the game so um, back then, the, the consoles were not compatible with other regions, and so if you try to put a disc inside a, you know, a British disc inside of a U.S. console or North American console, um, basically it would kind of uh, region lock and it wouldn't let you play the game. So I ended up having to return that one, and then I was just like, ah, oh, well, I'm just not going to play Sunshine, I guess. Um, and then eventually when we found out about this, I was very excited because I'm like, yes, now I can go ahead and do that. So I think once I've had a little bit of time with uh, Super Mario 64, I'll probably jump over to Sunshine and eventually to Galaxy because, you know, I feel like it's just better to kind of go in order in terms of like graphics and, you know, mechanical updates and everything within the games. Other than that, though, I've been playing um, some more on the PS4 as well. Uh, the main game, eh, main game, I don't know if it's right to say it's the main game, 
But one of the main games that I played was um, something called the Alto Collection. I think I've talked about it a little bit on a previous episode. Basically, you are uh, riding a snowboard down a mountain, kind of collecting llamas and coins along the way and jumping over rocks and chasms and grinding on um, ropes and things like that. Um, It is a just kind of infinite runner type of game where you're basically just trying to go as far as you can. Um, I think throughout the weekend, I managed to get a new high score on there that I was pretty proud of, and I'm sure it's probably nothing compared to people who are really good at the game. (laughs) Um, Like, normally, I'd say runs end around, like, for me, around, like, the, I don't know, little over, like, a 1,000 meters um, traveled kind of thing. So usually it's not super huge. I'd say, like, every once in a while, I'll pass, like, the 2,000 meters thing, and that's that's a big thing. But on this particular run... And it must have just been I was feeling really good about it at the time, but I was going down, kind of avoiding avoiding rocks and grinding on things and stuff like that. But um, making my way, and I eventually reached the marker, because apparently um, when you pass a like previous high score in terms of like how far you've traveled down the mountain, when you pass that, there is a marker that kind of shows you like this is the this is like the point that was your best run. And then when you pass it now, you're kind of, it lets you know at least that you've passed this kind of old record of yours. So I ended up passing that and I was like, oh, this feels good. I'm going to keep going as far as I can. And I think that was, that record was maybe around like 2,000 something meters. I ended up, I think, going over that by about like 10 times almost. I got like 20, 20 or 21,000 meters, I think, into this run and was real upset when it finally like ended because I was like, oh man, I thought I was doing so well. Um, and I, th- I think I was originally thinking that there was a trophy tied with it. When I finished that run and I didn't pop the trophy, I was like, oh, well, maybe it's tied in with the, the second game in the collection, um, Alto's Odyssey, I believe. And I was playing Odyssey, um, Alto's Adventure. But um, found out uh, actually earlier today that apparently that that trophy is a thing for the first game, and I must have just not met the requirements totally. Um, you basically have to um, snowboard down the mountain for a total of three days, and I believe they mean in terms of um, as the game is progressing and you're going down, the sun and moon are kind of constantly moving. So I thought that I had passed that kind of three-day cycle, but I must have missed it just a little bit. So that I'll just have to try again and see if I can pass that old record and stuff. But at least now I am slowly getting better at the game. Hopefully, it seems like I'm not sure if I'll if I'll reach that like same kind of heights again. But I need to do it at least for that one specific trophy. So we'll we'll kind of report back on that and see how things have gone there. But played a lot of the Alto Collection, which has been nice. It's been very relaxing to kind of play that. Um, other than that, I played a little bit of Patapon 2 Remastered recently. I think uh, yesterday actually. Uh, Patapon, for people who are unaware, is a a game that was originally made for like the the handhelds, uh, the Sony handhelds. I think originally PSP, and then I think they ported over some of the games so you could play them on the PlayStation Vita as well. But um, Patapon Two Remastered is, recently came out. Um, I think this year on the PS4, and I got it around release. Just hadn't started it up because I was trying to finish Patapon One Remastered at first. Um, then I was just like, ah, you know, I'm on this trophy binge. Let's just go ahead and knock a trophy out there. So I have it on, um, the, you know, the list as like it's been started and whatnot. Um, started a little bit with that. I realized, uh, er, real quickly that when I'm not playing with headphones, I'm really bad at this game. (laughs) And I think that's probably a common thing for people, but headphones really do change the way you play this game a lot. 
Um, trying to go off of the TV sounds seems like it's a little bit tough at times, especially when you um, hit this, you know, like you're, you're hitting a steady rhythm and everything and you reach uh, what they call fever mode where you're, you know, your characters start to like dance like even crazier and their um, moves and things do more damage and stuff as you're kind of walking along this path. But um, I kept hitting fever mode and I kept, you know, immediately like whiffing it and just like crashing the fever mode on, on, on itself and I'd have to start the whole combo all over again. But with the headphones in, I finally did it where I started up fever mode and then actually started up real quickly because I didn't realize apparently if you're hitting things really on point, then you can get to fever mode even faster than normal. I think without hitting things on like a, a really good rhythm, you get there in about like 10, 10 combos, like a, yeah, a 10 combo kind of set. If you do get it with like the like really good timing, and apparently I think you can get it in as few as like three combos, which is which is really nice to to see that, um, and good to know for the future if I go back and play these things. But um, going through there and finally getting that combo going and the fever mode started, I made it I think throughout the entire level, and I was just like, yes, I'm so proud of myself because usually I'm really bad at these rhythm games apparently, um, but headphones headphones are the deciding factor for this thing here, so. Just gotta, just gotta remember that if you guys are ever playing these rhythm games and you trying to just listen to it on the TV and maybe you got the volume down low like I do, um, trying to listen for for everything else going on in the house, and then you you know neglect the fact that you really need to be able to hear the beats so that you can stay on rhythm with the game because they'll have some things that throw you off in there, but don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by the patapon noises. You'll you'll get there eventually, just like I did. So, a little bit of fun with that one. Um, I am looking forward to going through Pat Upon 1 and then eventually 2. I'm going to I'm gonna try and go back to Pat Upon 1, I think, sometime soon. Uh, it, it feels like it's just a nice game to kind of just, you know, pound away the beats at and not worry too much about everything else going on. Similar to, like, the Alto Collection, right? You just kind of very simple and, like, the buttons you're pressing and stuff. You can kind of just let your mind, like, wander and get real zen in the moment and everything. Patapon's a little bit more stressful than than Auto Collection, to be fair, um, but still a good good kind of um, thing to keep your mind off of everything else going on everywhere else in the world, right? Um, the last game that I played quite a bit of was uh, actually an older title, uh, Battlefield One. I started playing the multiplayer on, and originally this started as like I was looking through trophy lists and I saw Battlefield and I was like, huh, maybe I should go and and check out the trophies there. And I was looking through. And realized that there's a, I mean, obviously there was a bunch of trophies added on for DLC content, right? Um, I have the season pass, so I have all that content, which is nice. But um, I also know that I was, it's been a long time since I've played the game. And there, there was a whole bunch of trophies left over to get the actual platinum for the game. So I decided to start kind of looking into the, the road to platinuming Battlefield 1, right? I have not completed the single-player missions. Um, I think I started on the first set of missions, which is like the the tank missions. Um, I was enjoying the missions quite a bit. I just, at the time, was using a... I think I was using a guide to find out where the collectibles are because I wanted to get as many trophies as I could for the game. But um, I also knew that, you know, I was going through, getting these collectibles, and I was just like, ah, okay, I'm, I'm good right now. Sometimes watching videos to find collectibles and stuff can be a little bit too much um, at one time if you're doing it for quite a while. So I took a pause on it and didn't know when I'd come back to it. And so now here we are, September 21st, 2020, when I'm replaying the game again. Um, I decided to go in. I was trying to find matches online because some of the trophies that I need to get, um, I think there's only three more that I need that are dependent on multiplayer for the actual platinum trophy. 
So in terms of kind of getting that done, I was like, oh, I could probably do this. Uh, I tried jumping into some games, though, and quickly found out that apparently it's a little difficult to find games if you are going off of, I guess, like the what most people play on. Um, there are kind of a couple different types, right? You can go either to the operations, which are these large-scale battles that they had, and that was kind of one of the... One of the I feel like one of the like main features of Battlefield 1 when it first came out, we may have even talked about this on the podcast a long while ago, I'm not sure, uh, or it might have just been myself talking with Michael about these things in the past, but um, you can either do those large-scale conflicts, which they call operations, or you can go into you know just finding, like quick finding uh, multiplayer games just throughout the different multiplayer modes, and those ones are all pretty standard, like they have you know, just regular, like, team-based ones. They have, like, search and rescue, different things there. Um, I tried going to the just kind of, like, smaller games just to, you know, find something to, like, jump into. And the game itself, like, the servers couldn't find me a match with anybody, which was which was crazy. I was trying to figure out, I'm like, what's going on here? I started searching websites, trying to see if the game itself, like, the servers had closed down, and maybe I just was too late to the party and wouldn't be able to play it again on online, which I was I was getting real, like, saddened by because I'm like, shoot, man, I only have, like, three trophies left to get this platinum here and from the multiplayer, and I'm like, I can do this, but this is going to stop me if that's the case. So I was, I was trying to do that for a little while, started doing some research, found out that um, it seemed like it was pretty difficult for people to find matches, but... Um, I, I didn't give up, you know. I tried to tried to see what, if I was doing something wrong, like maybe I was looking in the wrong place for things. Turns out that basically it sounds like people are really only playing the operations, and that's why there are no players like in the other like game lobbies and stuff. No one else is trying to join those servers and things. So that was pretty, you know, disappointing. I don't think I'm going to try and put together like a, a band of people to play Battlefield One in you know, in the other modes for the sake of, like, trophies for DLC and stuff, because that's just a little little too excessive in terms of the amount of work that goes into that. But um, in terms of actually getting to play a little bit of the multiplayer, it was it was pretty fun to get back to it. Um, granted, I am still pretty bad at Battlefield 1. I'm not, like, great at these games. But um, once you, I don't know, once you, once you get kind of into the rhythm of everything and the way the game is being played and stuff, it kind of felt a little bit easier to get back into it, which was nice. So I am currently trying to get the trophies there, and I think I'll probably be doing that for at least like another, maybe like a week or so in terms of the multiplayer stuff. Um, it's a little difficult because right now we've got some other things going on at home um, in terms of like, uh, what's it called, just stuff that's keeping us busy. So I've been trying to not like jump into these games because these these operation games can take a long time when you're in them so even sometimes over like an hour in terms of like one full round kind of thing so depending and it's of course it's dependent on the teams that you're loaded into and whatnot but looking at it that way it's kind of tough sometimes to jump into a full-on game because you know getting getting like um I guess force out of a match because you're kind of setting the controller down for a while and going off to go do something that needs your attention and then coming back is is frustrating because then if you get kicked out of a match due to inactivity you don't get any of the you know points or progression that you may have unlocked during that match so that's kind of a, a thing that makes it a little bit more difficult to just jump into at any time like kind of some other multiplayer games but the times that I do get to sit down with it, it has been nice to just kind of, you know, just focus in on that one thing and just you know, keep on moving because the teams are massive. There's like hundreds of people um, 
or you know seemingly hundreds of people because the numbers in terms of like how many people are left on one side and obviously this is a certain number of players that are kind of taking up all these lives but it gives the impression that there's just like hundreds of people playing in these things and there's really probably like i don't know uh i want to see let me see there's like four or five people to a squad i think there's usually like six squads max so maybe like 60 ish people at the most or so um but i mean that's still a pretty huge amount of people in terms of like one you know campaign that's kind of going on in this this battlefield which is pretty fun in itself um so a lot of fun with those things there the big news now we're going to kind of jump into that part so People who have been watching and kind of listening here, I mentioned earlier that there was some news that happened earlier in the week. And the news itself, right, so after the PS5 conference, didn't really think there was going to be a whole lot of stuff going on. Um, Obviously today, the 22nd, is when the Xbox pre-orders have started up. So we kind of already knew that was happening um, Microsoft had announced that via Twitter and like news um, outlets and everything. So that was that was kind of known for uh, at least a couple weeks now, I believe. Um, in terms of the PS5 pre-orders, that that whole thing, like we talked about previously, that was kind of a mess. Um, but we didn't really think there was going to be a whole lot of news coming out before the pre-orders, right? I, I figured that the next big news was going to be like if the pre-orders had gone through like well and kind of in comparison to how Sony's went and everything, maybe we kind of see some some story beats about that. The big news of the week, though, happening on, on a Monday, which was pretty wild, uh, pretty early on Monday that this started to break, was that Microsoft, um, the you know owners of Xbox and everything, they have apparently acquired Bethesda Softworks um, in a $7.5 billion deal. And it's not just Bethesda, I should clarify. Um, they essentially now own um, what a, a company called ZeniMax Media. And ZeniMax is kind of the parent company of Bethesda Softworks, as well as a whole bunch of game developers, um, people like Arcane Studios, uh, Machine Games, id Software, a um, whole bunch of different people. And of course, like ZeniMax um, Online Studios, the guys who do the Elder Scrolls Online um, game at the moment. But yeah, there's a whole lot of things that have been kind of being unpacked by people, you know, throughout the last like day and a half or so, um, just because this is a huge kind of move. Like obviously, the amount of money spent on the you know company itself, Zenimax Media, kind of shows you how big of a deal this is to to Microsoft. Um, Seven point five billion dollars is is crazy to think about in terms of that being the cost of like all these different companies and things. But um, the idea that, you know, Xbox has now purchased pretty huge name brand studios and, you know, right before the day of the Xbox um, Series X and Series S pre-orders, I think is a pretty telling sign that Microsoft is making some huge moves to kind of bolster their, like, first of all, bolster their kind of first-party lineup uh, of first-party games from studios owned underneath Microsoft. But secondly, kind of to bolster the you know, public mind share that, whoa, like Xbox is really making moves here. We should probably jump in and get a Series X or a Series S because, oh my gosh, the Series S is only $300 and the Series X is 500 just like the PS5. But it's apparently more powerful. So that's a pretty, you know, they've got some crazy good talking points to have in terms of like things around the consoles themselves. 
And the idea now that they have acquired like all these huge studios who have made you know great games like the the Elder Scrolls series and the Fallout series and um, Arcane with like the Dishonored franchise and um, id Software doing like things like Doom and um, Rage and all these different games. But the idea that now all of these games and um, you know the, what's the word uh, IPs intellectual properties are now kind of under the umbrella of Microsoft and Xbox, you know, game studios as a whole is super, super interesting. It's kind of a going to be a crazy thing to look forward to in the future in terms of like the next few years as we kind of start to see the ripple effects that this has on the you know industry for next generation console gaming. I personally, uh, so Michael and I have talked about this a little bit. Michael, I think, is still of the mind that he doesn't think that Xbox will necessarily wall off, you know, these these franchises and games from Sony consoles. Um, he thinks that it'll, it'll probably still be on the PS5. And we had kind of been talking a little bit. I had mentioned that, you know, it's possible that um, Microsoft will now just require Sony to pay like lump sums if they want these games released on their consoles like or on the the new consoles right PS5 um day and date with the Xbox launch so I think that is one that is one possibility that could go down that route that that route there um Michael thinks that that is probably a more likely situation than one of the other situations I gave as a possibility um he thinks that it's you know it's still it's it seems like Xbox has been kind of touting themselves as being like oh like we're not like super worried about exclusives and things we are trying to make it you know xbox an all-inclusive platform where you can play your games on any any of the um, devices that you own kind of thing that have um, compatibility with like you know microsoft and things like that right that includes things like the xboxes the um like tablets that support the xbox client and phones and different things like that um but you know it's never it's never been something that's been on the playstation um, consoles or it's or even like the nintendo switch consoles right it's all these things that are kind of computer based as well as like um, xbox console based um, in terms of these games and platforms you can play things on where i think this starts to get interesting is that if you are looking if you're looking at all these big you know um big studios and the big franchises they have um, under their belts. And you're looking at these things like, um, let's just take the Elder Scrolls, for example, because that's one of my favorite franchises from Bethesda. Um, Looking at the Elder Scrolls, the last game that came out was Skyrim, um, Elder Scrolls V. And that one came out in 2011, I believe. Um, So it's been nine years. We know that that Elder Scrolls VI is in the works at the moment, but it's still a ways off, Uh, like probably at least a few years off before we start to hear anything about that game in terms of uh, release date schedule and things like that. Um, But keeping all that in mind, we know that there are probably no deals in motion right now that are, you know, guaranteeing that these games are going to be coming to all the consoles uh, when when they release, right? And if you're, if I'm Microsoft, I would assume that after spending all this money, the money needs to be obviously made back somewhere. You're not just spending money just because you have it, and you're not planning on using this to, you know, increase profits down the road as well. It's not, it's not a smart um, way to do business. But if I'm Microsoft, I look at these, you know, different studios that we have now just acquired and stuff and I look at these and, and kind of say to myself you know you guys are all part of the Xbox game studios family now so therefore 
all of your guys's like huge franchises and things are now essentially, you know, Xbox exclusives and will be like some of our like premium, you know, like front running um, first party games that we have to display in the future. Uh, Bethesda was already the reason why Bethesda's name is mentioned in in these news news articles is because that's kind of the main hitter in terms of like this whole deal itself. Uh, Some of the other smaller studios have done some pretty great stuff as well, but Bethesda is the only you know publisher slash developer that has its own conference around like times like E3 and things like that every year. So the fact that one of these like the the publisher um, Bethesda has the ability to kind of have enough games being worked on at one time to put out a conference to talk about all those things is pretty telling that this is a, a huge deal for Microsoft in terms of like, hey, if we now own Bethesda, we essentially, like, their their games are our first-party games, right? And that's just kind of how that, in my mind, that's how that deal just kind of works for them. Um, I don't I don't quite see the monetary appeal of you know, getting, purchasing all those, all those studios and all those properties. And then all of a sudden just being like, oh yeah, like, you know, cause obviously Xbox is going to put those, those games on game pass when they release, because that's what they've been doing for, um, for game pass itself to build it as a subscription service. They've been putting all these kind of big games and especially Xbox first party games on their day and date, um, when they launch. So that's nothing new there, but now that they've acquired all these new studios, right? It makes sense that obviously they're going to put those studios' new games on Game Pass as soon as they launch because that's just in keeping with kind of their current policies about things. Where it doesn't make sense in my mind is to then go ahead and go into talks with Sony and Sony be like, hey guys, we know that the Elder Scrolls or Fallout is a big deal um, on on all consoles, right? Like even our, our, our blah, words people playing on our consoles, the PS5 and whatnot, want to play these games as well. So we're willing to cut you a big check in order to you know, buy rights to have these on the PS5 also. That doesn't seem like it nets out in Microsoft's favor. Um, and this is just as a, as a business itself rather than just kind of um, looking at it in terms of like, I think I think sometimes gamers look at it in terms of the optics of like how this will look to consumers. Like consumers will be upset with Microsoft because oh you're you're now walling off all these like great games that we used to play on all the consoles or like whatever console we wanted kind of thing. So now if I play on the PS5, I can no longer play the um, what's it called I can no longer play the Elder Scrolls Six when it comes out, right? Or Fallout Five, all these different things. But in terms of um, business wise, obviously Microsoft is you know, raising the value of the brand of Xbox by purchasing all these studios and now putting them under the the umbrella of Xbox. And if they were to go ahead and just be like, oh yeah, like we'll take we'll take extra money from Sony in order to like whenever they want a game from something that we own, we'll go ahead and let them put it out as well. And then as long as they just pay us money for it, it's like we make money they they have to sell the games where people can just get it for for free on Game Pass. Um, it's it doesn't seem like a win win situation for Microsoft in this case, right? And so if it's not a win win, I don't see why they would go ahead and do this. Um, if that makes sense, you know, it's it's got to be these aren't just like charitable companies that are putting these things out. These are businesses that have to make money in order to stay afloat, right? So looking at it where. 
by buying these studios and now putting them under the umbrella of Xbox, if you now own all these properties and you don't make them exclusive, you've essentially not really gained any, you know, any um, rise in value for Xbox itself or for like people who choose to, to play Xbox games. You're not really raising the value of your console, um, I guess like console sphere. I don't know if that's the right words. You're not, you're not raising the value of um, your kind of Xbox community if these games are, are not becoming exclusive for the Xbox. So it's kind of a no-brainer that these things will most likely just be on Xbox for the future now um, until the point that maybe, you know, maybe down the line Sony gets enough money and they want to, you know, buy studios from Microsoft. We'll kind of have to see if that's something that ever becomes like talks. Because, I mean, looking looking back at, like, what, if we went back to 2011 or something and looking forward and being like, oh, there's no way that Bethesda would ever sell uh, or be be sold to either like Microsoft or Sony. Like clearly they're a third party, you know, publisher and whatnot. But we now see that pretty much anything is possible at this point. <laughs> so a lot of a lot of crazy things happening there. And I think for now we'll have to wait and see how everything turns out. Obviously this is still very early um, since this broke yesterday. Uh, we have heard that games that were already promised to be Sony exclusives, um, such as Ghostwire Tokyo and um, Deathloop, those ones will still be honoring their contracts. But again, those contracts had already been, you know, signed and eyes eyes dotted and T's crossed and everything. So there's likely some kind of penalties involved with breaking those contracts, and so it's therefore just better to just let them play out and kind of, you know, just just be the way they are. But going forward, I would be pretty shocked to see, you know, games from these companies on both systems and even more shocked to see if they're like selling better, you know, like quote unquote, like selling better on, you know, the PS5 compared to the Series X or Series S, like the the next gen games on next gen consoles. So definitely going to have to wait and see for now um hold me to it if if in the future we find out that you know there's they're apparently still giving them or giving them room to be everywhere i i will be very surprised and just you know just call me out on it because i'm not i'm not afraid to to be wrong about this because you know even if i'm wrong here it's a it's a win-win because if i can still play it on the ps5 i'll still play it there but if i can only play it on the xbox going forward i will definitely have to buy an xbox later on now um, don't have the, the money or the means to go ahead and get two pre-orders at the same time. Um, and I've been hearing that the, you know, the pre-orders for the Xbox have been pretty difficult as well. Um, kind of not, not really surprising pre-orders in this day and age where, you know, there's just such easy access to the internet and all the ways to try and pre-order consoles. It just kind of tends to break things more often than not. So we'll have to wait and see kind of how these things all level out. Um, but I would assume that if pre-orders for Xbox um, Series X and Series S are, you know, if if they're going crazy as well, then this news is probably doing, about the um, purchase of ZeniMax, this news is probably doing exactly what Microsoft wanted, and that's to, you know, boost the interest in the next generation Xbox consoles. And so, you know, hats off to you guys over there at Microsoft for for doing all that and making this happen, because this was something that I don't think anyone saw coming other than possibly, you know, industry insiders who had already heard rumors about this, but crazy, crazy news and 
pretty much a crazy week overall so far. So hopefully it won't it won't get any crazier. Um, I I ended up checking on my my PS5 pre-order earlier because I got a little worried in the back of my head where I was like, man, like what if what if something happens and it just gets canceled? So I checked on it, it's still okay. So I don't have to worry about that for now. But man, what a what a what a time! What a what a year that we're here in this year. Oh, that was a bad sentence, but. You guys, you guys know there's a lot of things going on. I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy. Um, obviously, if you guys have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to write in to brosandconsoles at gmail.com. Uh, mailbox is always open. Always checking that. Um, I think I, I usually check it before each show, and even just occasionally when I'm checking regular emails, I'll, if I see something pop in there, I'll go ahead and check it. Um, but recently I've been getting like a bit of spam emails in that account, which has been kind of weird. Um, but at the same time, just kind of thinking about it, like if we're getting spam emails, then have we, have we technically made it as a podcast? Are we, are we important enough that we get spam now from, from, you know, unfiltered bots and things? It's pretty crazy. It's a crazy thing to think about. But <laughs> if you guys aren't fans of email though, um, like kind of like how I sometimes am not, I have way too many unread emails that I haven't answered or read through yet. Um, but if you guys aren't a fan of email and you use things like Twitter and stuff, you can find me on there at Indie Ronin. And if you just want to have a good old chat or play some games on the PlayStation, um, hit me up on Indie Ronin on PSN. So I will talk to you guys again in, I'll say a couple days. Normally I know we did the Monday, Wednesday, Friday thing because I am working tomorrow and Friday though. I'm going to say that best bet will probably be on Thursday for recording again. So I, I believe in the description, I usually always put that, you know, two or three times a week is the plan pending on like how, how busy my schedule is with work and everything. So because things are picking up a little bit, I'm going to go ahead and have to probably do two episodes this week instead of three. So hopefully that's, that's okay with you guys. But you know, if not, then just, just let me know, just let me know, email, Twitter, PSN, whichever you guys like. Until then, I will see you guys on Thursday, hopefully a little bit earlier on in the day. And until then, I hope you guys stay well, stay healthy, play some fun games, and talk to you guys later. Peace out.